Welcome to Great Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and this month we are starting a new series about healing from trauma. Today, specifically, we're going to be looking at processing your pain, and the title of today's message is I'm Hurt, and we're going to be looking at the story of David so that we can identify some of the things he went through to look at how they could help us in our own lives experiencing whether it's trauma for you or helping you to understand trauma for someone else. I want us to start with this this big verse and it's Psalms 147 verse 3. I usually give a lot of scripture but this is one of those standalone verses that are beautiful and it really shows God's heart. It says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. And this verse is so powerful because it gives a glimpse of God's heart and the fact that he cares about his people, that he not only cares about us as a whole, but he specifically cares about those who go through things, those who have been hurt, those who have been brokenhearted. I mean, that's something deep. And one of the most powerful aspects about bringing God into your life is the process of him being able to heal your life, being able to heal your heart. And so many people, we go through life hurt, but we numb the pain by pressing it down and covering it up. And whether it's trying to just not think about it or we try to mask it with something else, we avoid processing our emotions. And the problem with that is that when left unprocessed, you will likely develop a false narrative or false beliefs about yourself that are unhealthy for your soul. And so today I'm going to use David's story to identify some very common painful life experiences people go through and the narratives that come from them in order to expose the lies and show the truths in its place. And throughout the entire message, my goal is to be able to show you some tangible truths and the uh, to process the trauma and to help lead you into the ultimate healer of your soul who is God who is Jesus and the reason that this specific topic is so important is because your subconscious will develop some of these unfair fears these unnecessary defenses in an attempt to protect you from getting hurt again and it the, the unprocessed emotions will end up shaping your worldview and they can uh, what it it can really just endanger and self-sabotage meaningful things and meaningful relationships within your life if it is left unresolved. Uh, let me look at this other verse in Psalm 27 verse 7 through 14. This is one of the reasons why we're going to be looking at David, but look at this this verse. It says, Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, I shall seek your face, Lord. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon nor do not abandon me. Do not forsake me, God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, Lord, and lead me on the level path because of my enemies. Do not turn me over to the desire of my enemies, for false witnesses have risen against me. And the violent witness, I certainly believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord and in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, 
wait for the Lord. See, the reason I want to share this verse as a preface to everything that we talk about today is because it is showing just a person who's truly brokenhearted. They're, they're crying out saying, even if my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. I mean, it's this cry of, of such intimacy, uh, of some such intimate hurt, as well as abroad, as it talks about being betrayed and, and talks about uh, all their enemies being against him. And I feel like so often trauma is in a, in a general sense, that's what it is, is experiencing this kind of harm in life. And as we zero in on, on David, we're going to look first about how he most likely experienced a lot of neglectment in his life. And see, when you go through neglectment, again, I, I want to be clear, as I go through each of these, I said at the beginning that these are common things that happen with trauma. It is When I say common, I do not mean that in a sense to belittle your trauma, but to give us a scope of, of how it can fit within these categories. So starting with neglectment, when, when we experience extreme neglect, especially as a child, what it often develops in our minds is a belief that no one wants me. No one wants me. Have you ever thought that to yourself? And see, the truth is, Every person needs to feel loved. And for David, what we see in his story from when he first shows up on the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10 through 11, is that he was left out of a once-in-a-lifetime event. It says in that story that so Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the boys? And he said, the youngest is still left, but behold, he is tending the sheep. So Samuel said to Jesse, send word and bring him, for we will not take our places at the table until he comes here. So this is David's father, Jesse. Samuel, who is the, the prophet of Israel, comes and, and has this, this special dinner with them. And as he introduces each of his sons, Samuel's is secretly looking for the next king of Israel. And God keeps telling him, no, not this, no, not this one, not this one. And at this point, it's realized that the youngest, who is David, was not included. Now, at first glance, it might seem like not a big deal. But keep in mind that Samuel is an important person to all of Israel. Okay, it's like the idea of, you know... I don't know how this would equate, but it's like the idea of the vice president just stopping by your house and saying, I want to have dinner for your family. I have a, of a really important thing I want to talk to you about. And your whole family sitting down for dinner and leaving you outside and <laughs> not telling you that, 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 that the most once in a lifetime event is happening in your home and you're being left out of it. And see, this is a, one of the first moments where we see David and it coincides with being neglected and being looked over. Some theologians even believe that, uh, that in this moment where he says there's still the youngest, that word is interchangeable to the uh, there's still the one who's unimportant. And so we see this moment of David feeling like he's not wanted. He's described as being the runt of the family. And God has to reaffirm Samuel once he sees David saying, do not judge by his outward appearance. And so he is looked over by everyone in this moment and it's harboring some neglectment. Uh, uh, we see in other verses, like in 1 Samuel 17, 28 through 29, 
in the moment where David goes to bring his brother's food while they're waiting to see who's going to fight Goliath, David starts asking about what's going on and what is Goliath saying? What is Saul going to give the person that fights him? And it says out of nowhere, now Eliab, his older oldest brother, heard him when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David and he said, Why is it that you have come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I myself know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? What is, was it not just a question? See, the re reason I want to share this glimpse is because we're seeing the initial moments of David's life of him having almost like the Cinderella moment where he's not, he's not invited to the ball. His brothers are being mean to him and pushing him down for no reason. And he's having this moment, we're seeing these glimpses to where the only interaction of his family is him being left out and bullied. And it, it is showing... This, again, this neglectment building in his life. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32-37, we see this moment where David gives us uh, this, this powerful reason of why he could go face Goliath. Now, in this dialogue, he, he says that he's going to go out and face him. And he says, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came to took a sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he had defied the, Lord, the, the armies of the living Lord. And in this moment, Saul says, you're but a kid, you're but a youth. He's been a warrior since his youth. So there's, there's speculation of how old David is in the time of this, this, this specific passage. And some believe that it could be as young as 13 and as old as 20. And what's, what's really meaningful about this is that if we were to take the medium of that age, like say he was 15 to 17, that's extremely young. And he's talking about in the past that he's he's defeated both a lion and a bear. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. Think about it for a moment. That means that this young boy was left unattended and fighting off lions and bears. Oh, my. It, it, what it shows me is that I have kids, right? And... I, I, I'm very attentive to my kids. I mean, me and my wife, we can sometimes be helicopter parents. And I know that times are different. But you'd have to imagine that this is some some crazy level for him to be going off and in in fighting with wild animals of the forest. And to me, it shows a glimpse of how his parents do not care where he's at to some extent. They do not care what where he's at to some extent. And I'm telling you, I've been on the street before when I was a kid, and anyone that doesn't have supervision, anyone that has that doesn't have parental guidance, when asked, how, how are you able to do this? Your parents don't get mad. The response is always, my parents don't care. So when, when kids are left unbridled to do whatever they want, even though they have total freedom, inwardly, their response is, my parents don't care. They take the neglectment, or the quote-unquote freedom as not being cared for, not being wanted. And the final thing I want to show about David's life is in this sense of neglect is 1 Samuel 16, 19-22. This is a moment where Saul sent messengers to, to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, who is 
uh, with the flock. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and jug of wine, and he took a young goat and sent them to Saul by his son David. And then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul greatly loved him, and he became his armor bearer. So Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Let David now be my attendant, for he has found favor in my sight. And so David would play the harp for Saul in order to calm him down, because at, this is a point where he started having some demonic stuff going on to where he was, uh, he was uh, deeply troubled by some spirit that was around him. This is really the moment in which Saul be, started becoming extremely emotionally unbalanced. And when he calls for David, notice that there's no hesitation from his father. Now, given given the the benefit of the doubt, when a king would demand something, as often you got to do it. But we still see other passages of scripture to where there would be some dialogue about trying to reason with the king if there was a request that they didn't want to fulfill. But here we just see Jesse just send his son like, okay, go ahead. And his father sends him to King Saul, who ends up being the most mentally and physically abusive person of his life. And we see with all these passages of Scripture that we can derive that David faced extreme neglect as a child. And he was excluded from this once-in-a-lifetime dinner. We read how his his presence literally just agitated his family members. He was almost killed while no one was watching him. And he's sent off to this emotionally unstable man who abuses him. See, neglect, as we look at neglect, it can really mess with a person's soul. Thinking that you are unwanted by even your own family can utterly alter your personality and the way that you see yourself in the world. It can confuse you and the pain that can go, it can go so deep and it make you feel incredibly lost. When it comes to your place in the world. When you feel lost within your family, it makes you feel lost in the world. And it can easily make you believe that no one wants you. And the truth is nothing can be farther from the truth. God made you valuable. And it doesn't matter whether or not people can recognize that value. Because they they do not determine your value. I, I really believe that. The creator of the universe, he holds the value, what value is. And it's not determined by the the opinions of man. And I, I mean, this is one of the reasons, honestly, why I think that people should, should have birthday parties. I mean, there's some religions and denominations that believe that we shouldn't have birthdays, whatever with that. I really think that people need to be celebrated, that their birth should be celebrated because it is so important to know that you are valuable, that, that people wanted you here. And I got to say that if you've not had like a special birthday, just know that God celebrates on the day of your birth, that, that he celebrates, he rejoiced at the moment that he gave you life. And you must know that no matter what people around you may make you feel, the truth is, is that you are valuable, that you are wanted, that, that God himself cares for you and he desires for you to be cared about in this world. So now that we understand an aspect of neglect, something that so many people face, now I want us to look at uh, the, the image of being oppressed. And when we are oppressed, when we're, in a sense, picked on, when we're when we're uh, uh, uh hurt by other people, a a belief that can develop very easily is that 
it was my fault. It was my fault. And I want us to take that and understand that the truth is no one deserves the trauma they faced. No one deserves the trauma they faced. In 1 Samuel 18, 10 through 11, we see this moment in which Saul, who becomes the biggest oppressor of David, this first moment in which he attacks David, says, Now it came about the next day that an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of his house while David was playing the harp with his hand, as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand. Then Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. And so what we see here is the very first moment in which David is being attacked by Saul. And Saul, all throughout 1 Samuel, consist, the book of 1 Samuel, he consistently attacks David over and over. He hurls insults. He lies to him. He betrays him. He tries to trap him. And he, he physically tries to kill him on a number of accounts. And see, being oppressed, it can be incredibly difficult, but most of all, it could be confusing because I'm not talking about being a misunderstanding between two people. I'm not talking about an argument that got out of hand. I'm talking about the moments in which something was done to you that was clearly wrong. In those moments, the biggest question that arises from the pain is, why me? Why is this happening? And we, we try to make sense of something that seems senseless. And it can be easy to start to believe that somehow it was your fault. That somehow something in the world has made this happen. And that maybe it, it was something you said or something you did that you shouldn't have. Or maybe you, you think that it was your fault for being in that situation in the first place. And see, what, what happens when you start to do that... Your mind is trying to rationalize chaos. Chaos is just things happening at wild, just horrible events happening. Anything could happen. And your mind tries to rationalize it in an attempt to learn how to avoid the pain again. Doesn't that make sense to you that you get hurt? Your mind will naturally think, how can I avoid this again? And see, when with trauma, with being oppressed, your mind doesn't compute that there's certain things that just were not your fault. There is something that was out of your control. And no matter how many things you can think of, you could, you could have done differently. It still should have never been done to you. That event, that situation should have never been done to you. No matter how many things you could have done differently, it should not have been done regardless. And you do not have to carry the weight, the burden of responsibility for someone else's actions. They did something to you that was wrong. In this moment, it's not that David played the harp wrong. It was the fact that Saul had his own issue and he was out, he was lashing out at David, that he was trying to hurt David for something he was dealing with. And that maybe, maybe it was some, uh, the thought that maybe it was something you said or something that you shouldn't have done, it's just not true. And you, you must understand that you do not have to carry that burden. You don't have to carry that responsibility. You, you got to believe that you deserve freedom with your healing. 
You deserve freedom with your healing. You don't have to harbor confusion about that. You don't need to feel confused about why something happened to you because not everything happens for a reason. It's simply not true. There's painful things in this world that happen and God didn't destine a man's sinfulness to be upon you. God does not tempt any person to sin. And so whatever man's sin was upon you, it is not God's destiny for that to happen you. That is the chaos and pain of our sinful world. Simply know and believe that it was wrong, that period. It was wrong and that you didn't deserve that traumatic experience. God did not destine you for pain or for abuse. He does not want you hurt. He wants you healed. You know, it makes me think about a a personal story for me in which when I was 14, I was molested. And it was an event to where for years I harbored it. I just pressed it down. I didn't want to process those emotions because it was a painful experience. I didn't want to relive. And when I finally did talk about it, again, I was 14. And the first time I ever openly said anything about it was when I was 21. And man, was that difficult. It, It was just, it was so difficult to process and through all of that, those events of me feeling re-triggered and, and going through that, one of the thoughts that developed was, well, I shouldn't have been there in the first place. I, I shouldn't have been in that situation. And time and time again, people, we develop these ideas that if I would have done this or if I would have said that, if I wouldn't have been there, it would have been different. And regardless, regardless, it, did, it does not justify what happened to you. It doesn't. It should have never been done, period. And if you can, if you can receive that, if you could believe it, that, that you, you are not, uh, you're not destined for that trauma, that it was not your fault. And certainly you did not deserve it regardless of any actions or words that were said, regardless of whether or not you should have been there. It should not have happened. Regardless, you must believe that because when you do, it will help you to be able to unlock this this place in your heart, this place in your life for God to heal what is hurting. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is being isolated. See, this is a belief that after experiencing so much pain or certain traumas, you get to a point where you believe I'm just meant to be alone. I'm just meant to be alone. And the truth is, No one is destined to be lonely. Not one single person has a destiny to be lonely. One of the most common reactions for that trauma is isolation because our minds begin to push everyone out, good and bad alike, in an attempt to protect oneself from being hurt again. We push everyone away because we don't want to be hurt. And then when the self-created loneliness comes in, It mixes with that trauma and creates that false narrative. I'm meant to be alone. And thank God for his word. Thank God for scripture because it reveals truth. It it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now consider this for a moment. This is in Genesis talking about Adam, right? Well, consider that in this verse, Adam walked with God. 
Adam walked with God in the Garden of Eden. This is before sin into the world. So that means that it's before pain entered the world. It's before death and chaos entered the world. And yet, in a perfect world, Adam felt lonely. Consider that. He walked with God and yet he felt lonely as he had no one to relate to. And think how God did not expect Adam or nor punish him for being lonely. So often our, we, as American church culture, we've created this narrative that if you feel lonely, it, well, God should be your best friend. God should be there for you if you feel lonely. And if you rely on anyone else more than God, then you're not really trusting God. Let's just slow down for a minute. Adam felt lonely as he walked with God, conversed with God. Now we got sin, we got pain, we got chaos. If God understood Adam, could he not certainly understand us? Could he not certainly understand you? And instead of punishing him, instead of expecting Adam to buck up, God in his goodness, in his mercy, in his compassion, created a companion for Adam. And being able to relate to someone in life. See, it's one of the most valuable experiences that we can have. To know that you're not alone. And it gives us hope and it helps us to see that we're not the only ones carrying burdens. And for David, it was this kind of moment that inspired a turnaround moment in his life. It says in 1 Samuel 22, 1-2, So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now this is a moment in which David had nowhere to go. He had nowhere to go and he's living inside of a cave. Think about, just imagine that in your mind that there's no town, there's no city, there's nowhere for you. And so you're living in the, out in the wild and you find a cave to find shelter. You have no one, absolutely no one in your life to help you. Then it says when his brothers and all his father's households heard about it, they went down there to him. Then everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. See, it was this moment that he experienced loneliness, isolation. They felt like he was all alone. It was this moment where other people ended up joining him. And not just anyone. Look who it says joins him. Talking about people in distress, people in debt, people who were discontent. Those who were hurting joined David as he was hurting. His Even his brothers, all the stuff that he had going on with them before, his own his family ends up coming to him while he's in his most painful moment. And it's at that moment that we see a turnaround in David's life. The moment that he was no longer isolated, that he got his life back, that he was when he was joined with other hurting people, his life began again. And it was after letting people into his life that he was being he was able to find strength to endure and overcome his traumatic experiences. And in this moment, God turned his pain into a purpose. I think that's so often why we believe that God destines us for pain. That it's almost like we that that idea that everything happens for a reason. 
It's not biblical. In this moment, all the, the things that David had suffered, it was because of the sin of man. It's not because of the, the plans of God. He God does not tempt a man to sin, but the Bible says that he will turn our ashes into something beautiful. In this moment, David's life is ashes. Everything in his life has been burned down. Everything has been taken away from him. Even those who have helped him have been killed. And in this moment, all of his ashes are turned into this beautiful moment in which he finds his purpose. And this is the first moment in which he becomes the captain as the new David. He's the new David, the redeemed David. And in his discouragement, he found enlightenment. And I believe that God wants to heal you, that God wants to heal people of trauma. And I'm not a big proponent of emotionalism. I don't think that just because we go through things that we should uh, go to God, because if our life has been bad, it will most likely turn up good. And if your life has been good, it will eventually get bad. Life has ups and downs. It does not dis, uh, it, it does not determine whether or not Jesus is still Lord. See, we should trust in Jesus because he rose from the dead. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That's something that will never change. But that part of his mission was not only to save us from hell, but also to heal the brokenhearted. Why? Because God cares about you. He cares about the people who have gone through trauma, some real stuff, and he doesn't want you to go through this life dejected. He does. He wants you to have a life and life abundantly. That was a promise of Christ. And if you're listening to this and you realize that you have this unprocessed trauma in your life and you're ready for God to begin this work of healing your heart and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life and the Savior to your soul. You've never done that before. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. And what it's saying is if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, have a real conversation with him. Say the good, the bad, the ugly. Talk about that trauma. Talk about what you want to say and talk to God about it unfiltered. Because you must know God understands you. And when you just simply talk to him, acknowledge who he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. That's it, all it takes is that conversation. And when you do that, it, it coincides with starting the work of healing your heart. It not only saves your, it saves your soul for eternity, but saves your soul in this world. And you just must know that, that God truly cares for you. And I hope that within this conversation today, within this message, that you have learned to expose these false narratives, these, these beliefs about yourself that are simply not true, and believe the truth instead. Believe what God says about you. And all that... I hope that this was edifying for you today. I hope that it made a difference in your life, and I hope that it started a process of healing for you. If Gravetop Church has, has made a difference in your life and you want to continue to help us to make a difference in other people's lives, you can do that by donating at gravetopchurch.com, and you can click the Donate tab. And when you donate, not only is it a special act of worship, your generosity and your, your giving of offerings and tithes, it's a special act of worship to God. We are simply stewards of that gift, but when you do that, it it also empowers us to continue to minister to other people. You help us to continue to make an impact through this ministry. And 
Uh, so uh, again, all that being said, we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when they don't want to. Something done out of your own heart. Uh, if that is you, th- uh, uh, those are the ways to do that. Thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church online service today. I hope that uh, this was special for you. All that being said, have a good life.